Welcome to Educator Forever, where we empower teachers to innovate education. Join us each week to hear stories of teachers expanding their impact beyond the classroom and explore ways to reimagine teaching and learning. Jen Rafferty is an educator, author, and the founder of Empowered Educator. She started as a middle school music teacher, where she worked for 15 years in central New York. She is known for bringing her energy, humor, and expertise into her presentations while inspiring educators to stay connected to their why. Jen is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and is currently pursuing her PhD in educational psychology. Since its inception, the Empowered Educator has reached teachers and school leaders all over the world. Jen has been featured in many different media outlets and was on the TEDx stage with her inspiring talk, Generational Change Begins with Empowered Teachers. She's also the host of the podcast, Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, which is rated in the top 3% of podcasts globally. In everything she does, Jen is committed to inspiring teachers and school leaders to discover their voices and maintain a healthy longevity throughout their careers. Welcome, Jen. So glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. Yay. Well, I would love to hear about your journey as an educator. I know that's a big question. (laughs) So take it in whatever direction you'd like. Yeah, it is a big question. You know, for me, I always wanted to be a teacher. I was singing for my stuffed animals or so the story goes very early on. And so I loved having an audience and teaching music was something that I really felt like was in my bones. And I remember even as a seventh grade choir student, I remember keeping some of the materials because I thought I might want to use them one day in my own classroom. And, you know, it was funny when I went to my mother's house as she was moving out of my childhood home, I found actually some of those papers that I had saved over the years. And it, it meant a lot to me to be able to have music be a part of my life and share it with other people in this way and really inspire other people to f- discover their voice. And so I went to school as a music education and vocal performance major in Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. And I loved it. I had a great time. I felt really comfortable and confident in teaching. And, you know, when I first got to my classroom for the very first time, like so many first year teachers, I felt grossly underprepared. <laughs> I was I, I was really kind of mad about it, actually, if I'm being honest, because I felt so confident and I was told how great I was doing that I wasn't expecting it to be that hard. And after a lot of reflection, you know, it occurred to me, I really understood my content. I knew my pedagogy and I had just written a beautiful three-page paper about my philosophy of teaching. And I didn't know who my students were. And so walking into a classroom, particularly of middle school students, I was missing the mark in in quite a big way. So that kind of led me down another journey of my own research of brain development, cognitive neuroscience, particularly during adolescence, which really informed my teaching for the rest of my career. Yes. So interesting. So then you stayed a music teacher for how many years? So I was in the classroom teaching music for about 15 years. And I loved it. I really did. I I had the beautiful opportunity to develop new programs, 
I started a modern bands program at the high school that I was working at, which is still alive and well today, which is so cool. Kids are performing and producing and recording and writing their own tunes or really bringing garage band culture back in, in the town that I'm in, which is awesome. And then I had the opportunity to have some leadership positions within the school, within the middle school itself. I was the head of the department for a, a number of years. And and I really did love it. And it really probably would have been something I would have done the rest of my life if it weren't for COVID. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Threw a wrench in everybody's plans. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> but through that experience, I know it morphed into a new direction for your career. So can you tell everybody kind of what happened with COVID and where you're at now? So COVID was a really interesting time, obviously, for all the obvious reasons. But for me, in, in my journey, particularly, you know, in, in December 2019, I just published my book, which is something I wrote kind of to pay homage to my younger self and those beginning years of teaching to pay it forward to the folks who are just starting out. And two weeks after it was published, my husband and I decided we were going to get a divorce. And I ended up moving out of my house with my kids who were five and seven at the time, the same weekend that the world shut down in March of 2020. And so in addition to all of the challenges that we were all facing, I really felt as if my identity shifted overnight in all of the ways that I thought mattered to me at the time. And I had to reckon with, you know, who am I? And who do I want to be? And part of that really led me back to the reason why I started teaching in the first place, which was to inspire people to discover their voice. And I facilitated a lot of different conversations with educators all over the United States about how we're going to shift and make music education more accessible in this virtual space. And at the same time, listening to my own gut and where I was being led to. So in the fall of 2020, I decided to take off, which was just what I thought was going to be a semester to homeschool my kids and started my PhD in educational psychology and really went on my own healing journey, discovered mindset. I was certified as an emotional intelligence practitioner and continued to dive into the research of cognitive neuroscience. And when it came time to decide whether or not I wanted to go back to the classroom, my head said, yeah, Jen, absolutely. You're going to do this. This is what you wanted to do your whole life. But you know, my intuition and my heart was just calling me that there was something else that was out there. And I listened. So I resigned. I wrote my resignation letter in February of 2021. And it felt amazing until four days later, I was a hot sobby mess on my couch, you know, snot bubbles, the whole thing. What did I just do? I just quit my job. I have two kids to feed. It's COVID. Everything was so uncertain. But once I made that decision, Empowered Educator became very clear. And now that's the company that I founded. And it's been such an amazing exciting path because now I focus on the social and emotional well-being of the adults in schools, which as we all know, was a place that was really overlooked, particularly during the pandemic. Absolutely. Yes. I love hearing this story too of like, I've had experiences too of being like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I think I should do. You know, this is what my heart tells me. And it's not like in the movies, I feel like where it's like, all right, yes, I'm making this decision like a hundred percent in. I do feel like there are moments often of being like, what did I do? Like, and then back at it. And that all of that is like part of the process. So I appreciate hearing just about like how that looked and unfolded for you. 
And I love the focus of Empowered Educator on the well-being of the grown-ups in the room. I think that's so needed. And for my work as a teacher and, you know, working with teachers, something that's just really overlooked and I think undervalued, like the emotional well-being and capacity of teachers is really like so much rests on it. So I know, you know, in addition to burnout, a lot of teachers just are dealing with this constant state of stress, which maybe also is related to burnout. (laughs) And all sorts of fears come up when we're in that state. And especially like a lot of teachers that I work with thinking about doing something new, whether it's, you know, moving to a different school or moving beyond the classroom or expanding their skills in some way. Fear often holds us back. And what advice do you have for teachers dealing with fear? So fear is part of our biology. And I think what happens is we get into this mindset of we're going to just push through the fear and we're going to do it anyway. And often that doesn't always help <laughs> because we're not acknowledging the fear and its job. And and part of this is recognizing that your brain's only job, like its sole purpose is to keep you alive, period. It doesn't care if you're happy. It doesn't care if you're, you know, learning new things. It definitely doesn't care if you're living your dreams. And in fact, your brain probably would vote against you living your dreams because it has no evidence of you doing that and surviving. So anytime that you are going to be stepping out of your comfort zone in any way, fear is going to kick in because it is your brain's first defense to keeping you safe. And teachers, kind of stepping into a new profession or doing a a side hustle or or just trying something new. The big things like that, of course, that fear is really obvious, but it could be even small things like relaxing over the weekend. If your nervous system has no evidence of you relaxing for more than 10 minutes and surviving, it's not going to let you do it without intentional thought and, and practice because it just doesn't have any evidence that that you've survived this. So this is why when you're on vacation, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get on vacation. And an hour goes by and your mind's thinking about work again. That's your brain leveraging fear to stop you. And so the takeaway for this is to recognize when fear is in the driver's seat. Because the truth is you're not your brain. You're a person who has a brain. So if you can recognize this as for what it is and say, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. I said that I really wanted to do this new thing and I was really excited about it. And now all of a sudden I'm finding that a week has gone by and I haven't written that email. I haven't made that phone call. I didn't reach out and message that person on Facebook. That's so interesting. And what happens is that procrastination is one of those fear flavors that your brain's going to be like, you know what? You have to vacuum right now. You cannot sit down and write this email. There's a sink full of dishes and you forget to do the sink full of dishes and like everything else. And so a week goes by, a month goes by, two years go by and you're like, you know what? I always wanted to write that book. I always wanted to try that new career. And here you are and it's two years later and you're, you're in the same spot because we're not consciously aware that you're brain and your fear is sabotaging. So acknowledging it for what it is, recognizing it when it comes up, loving it because it's keeping you alive. (laughs) (laughs) And your fear, it's doing a great job. If you're listening to this podcast, it's done very well by you because you are alive. 
So we recognize it. We love it. And we say, thank you, fear. And I, I don't need you right now. I'm actually not going to die by making that phone call, writing that email, having that difficult conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so powerful to be able to observe your brain in that way and to really notice, you know, what it's doing and that it's doing it with good intention, right? Like as you're saying, but that also it's holding you back. And I think that it's just like a really lovely, empowering way of looking at it. And also I know just thinking of like other things that hold teachers back in general, I know that for me and for many teachers that I work with is people pleasing. And I'm wondering if you have any advice around that. Sure. Well, people pleasing is a beautiful adaptive behavior that, you know, we all we all suffer from. You know, this is not just a teacher problem or a mom problem or, you know, I mean, I think that there are layers of it if you fit into some of those roles. But there's there's an element in this for for so many people. So first of all, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> You're totally normal. And, you know, when we consistently feel as if other people's comfort is more important than our own, we are consistently going to be emotionally pretzeling ourselves to please everybody else. And that never feels good. You know, and going back to the fundamental principle of empowered educator is the most generous thing you can do for the people in your life is take care of yourself. And so that's really asking yourself some important questions like, what do I want? Where am I in this situation? There's really good keywords that you can look for in this. For example, you know, if you're hearing yourself, well, I really should be doing this, or I shouldn't be doing this, or I'm supposed to do this, or I'm not supposed to do this. If you're asking yourself, well, whose should is this? Who's supposed to is this? Then chances are you're going to realize that it's not even yours. It's not even yours. You know, I, I really should join this committee. Okay. Whose should is this? Oh, well, it's because my predecessor was a part of every single committee and I don't want to disappoint anybody. That's so interesting. And now we can start to really play with that and get underneath some of that because we're being honest with ourselves. So that's really important to come at this from a lens of data and non-judgment too, because we don't want to hate on ourselves either about being in these situations where we've shoulded all over ourselves. You know, all of it is programming. And again, you know, you're not your brain. You're a person who had a brain and your brain learned at some point along the way that it is more important for other people to be happy because that's how you received love or that's how you were validated or that's how you felt that you, your worth was affirmed. And so now, you know, decades later, we're fully grown adults, you know, the, the six and seven year olds who first started to learn these things about life are running the show. And so this comes up all the time. It still does for me as someone who's immersed in this work all the time. The difference is noticing because you can't change something you don't notice. Absolutely. And I think someone is like, we, yeah, we don't know that we're doing that, right? I mean, I think just that invitation to be like, who should is it is so powerful because often I think we're just like, well, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> like, yes, I'll say yes to this. Like, sure, I'll do this. And taking that pause of being like, hey, like, do I really want to do this? Or who should is it? Or why do I feel like I should do it? 
And really untangling it is worth it and hard <laughs> because I think we just accept it sometimes as like normal, but it takes a lot of untangling for all sorts of things to kind of get a sense of what we really want to do and what really is supportive to us in that moment. Yeah, sure. And I, you know, it can be exciting. It doesn't have to be hard. And that's another thing about this kind of work. I think it kind of falls into this place a lot of times. It's heavy, it's hard, it's deep. And there's a lot of levity in all of this too. And, and it could be really exciting to explore all of it. Does it feel good all the time? No, it doesn't feel good all the time. Because when you're looking at a mirror, sometimes it, it can be confronting. But at the end of the day, what's on the other side of that is a version of you who is free from all the people pleasing, is free from all the shoulds, is free from a long line of tradition of just you've been doing it this way because that's the way you thought it was supposed to be done without even questioning. So inviting the opportunity for curiosity is always going to be a fun space to play in. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that reminder to like bring some amusement, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't have to be heavy even. And that like is a blocker too, right? (laughs) To be like, it's very serious. I'm working on myself. Like, you know, it can be fun and it should be fun. And like what you want on the other side likely is uh, some amount of joy built in there too. 100%. So I think with that, you know, thinking about these small shifts we can make to make big shifts in our life, I would love to hear you talk about kind of how we define success. Sure. So for me, the definition of success has changed a lot over the years. You know, I was a straight A student. I worked really hard growing up as a kid because those grades meant a lot to me as a performer. You know, being on stage, I often gauged my success with how did the audience clap? Did they give me a standing ovation? How many good job gens did I get afterwards? And what happens is when you when you define success as something external, you're constantly chasing it outside of yourself because I had no control over what the audience was going to do. I have no control about you know, whether my English teacher was in a good mood or not and how she was going to grade my paper. I have no control over, you know, what school I got into to some extent, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so shifting to a definition of success that allows for internal agency has been really important and game-changing for me in my life. And this is what I, I share and teach with the educators that I work with too, because also we work in a place where there is this idea of external success where the kids see the gold star or not the star or the check or the check minus. And I'm not saying that evaluation isn't important. It is. That's how we learn. We, we, we learn, we grow, but attaching it to your self-worth is where it gets a little hairy. And so what does success mean to me now? It means that I get to spend as many hours of the day as possible feeling the way I want to feel. Period. That's it. That's how I run my business. That's how I operate my my households. That's how I interact with my family. And at the end of the day, I get to be in the driver's seat about whether or not I feel successful that day. Not anybody else. Not my bank account. Not the amount of connection calls I had. Not the you know length of my podcast or how many people you know, subscribe to it. None of that. It's all external. This is about me and what I have agency in. 
I love that. And I think it's so powerful and something that like, yeah, it's just so freeing and, and what truly matters, right? Like, I mean, I think that all these other things, right? Like bank account, podcast downloads, like all the things, how your kids are doing on assessments, like all those things are like stand-ins, you know, <laughs> they're like external things we look for, but like what we all really want and deserve is to feel good in our bodies as we go through our lives. And so I think prioritizing that is puts things in perspective and is really powerful because truly that is what you can control. And so I think that, yeah, that's just like so beautifully said, you know, and that I encourage listeners to think about like what that means for them, you know, and to reframe, you know, all those things that we focus on externally don't have to be the focus. And it doesn't mean they're not important in some way, but like they're not the most important. Yeah, it's a, it's a shift. and. Exactly. It's not that they're not important. It's that it doesn't have to be tied to your self-worth and it doesn't have to be tied to your ideas of success. You can be super successful because of the things that you decide to do, not what other people think or say or do or don't do. Absolutely. And I think it's like, it goes back to all those like stories or experiences that people might've had of like people who on the surface look really successful, you know, but still don't feel satisfied with their lives. And so I think that like also is evidence, right? That's like, it's not necessarily just the external factors that are important and it's really building that internal capacity and intention for your life. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, I mean, hearing about your work is so exciting and powerful. And I feel like I've learned so much through this conversation, but I'd love to hear what you've learned both personally and professionally from moving beyond the classroom and starting your own business. Well, I've learned that really anything's possible. I never in a million years would have thought I'd be running a company. They just didn't. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think that that was going to be my life. But once you step out of what's currently in your reality and, and move into a place of possibility, truly, you are limitless. And the only limitations we put on ourselves are the ones that that are self-created. That's it. There, there are no other limitations that are around you. It is all your perception of, of what you believe is possible for you. Because if you don't believe that the kind of success I was just talking about is for you, then you're never going to feel it. If you don't feel and believe as if having you know, the number that you think is an appropriate number in your bank account is possible for you, you are never going to get it. If you don't believe that healthy relationships is your thing, that's it for you. And so you can only grow to the capacity of your belief. And when you start to change your belief system to really align with who you want to be in this world and everything changes. Yes, that's amazing. And I found it totally true as well. And I think that teachers in particular, it's like, we just are part of this system that's like all these limits, you know, like I felt so boxed in as a teacher that it's almost like I couldn't see other options for myself. And so I think this idea of like, just allowing yourself also to dream, you know, and think beyond those limits, like, which are often not true like those aren't your limits and just because you haven't seen models or don't know what it looks like doesn't mean that it can't happen and so I love this idea of like creating this space before it happens and thinking about it and imagining it and like feeling it before you even get that thing that you want yeah 100 percent 
So I would love any advice that you have for teachers who might be thinking about moving beyond the classroom. Maybe they have an idea of something they want to share with the world. What advice would you give them? Find a network of people who cheer you on. There's going to be a lot of naysayers and it is important to realize that their commentary has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with them and their own limitations and beliefs and ideas of what's possible and fear. And stepping out into the entrepreneurial worlds is not for everybody. And if it is something that is calling you, then listen to the call and find your people who are going to cheer you on loudly and fan your flame. You need that because this is not an easy path. So support with folks who have, who have done this already and with folks who are also at the same spot as you so you can be in it together in community. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's like that helps with all those limits too, right? Like people who can see beyond those limits, people who can see your vision and cheer that on can help when like the inevitable moments come up where you're like, wait, can I do this thing? Like, I'm not sure if I can. And so really building that even before you really need it. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jen. It's been so wonderful talking with you. I would love for you to share how folks can connect with you and learn more about your work. Sure. So the easiest way is my website, empowerededucator.com. If you go to the resources page, there's a ton of free resources there for you to just kind of dip your toe into to this world and really see what's out there and available for you. And of course, you can listen to my podcast too, which is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty. That's a really fun space where I have conversations with a lot of people outside the education world who talk about all sorts of stuff about how to human. (laughs) It's really about being a person first and teaching also. And that's, that's been a really great space as well. So those are the two main places you can find me. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Jan. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Want to figure out your next step as an educator? Watch our free on-demand workshop and embrace a career pathway that works for you. Go to educatorforever.com slash workshop. You'll get introduced to the many options for flexible, rewarding work beyond the classroom and make a plan for landing jobs.